Welcome to the True Face Podcast. Yeah, today we're talking about our favorite conjunctive adverbs. <laughs> David, would you lead off with a few? Uh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> if I knew three, then oh. I would No, I don't have any. What is a conjunctive adverb? I think it's one of those things that if I tried to tell you what it was, it would yeah. be wrong. That's right. Yeah. I don't Conjunctive know. You know, I was an English adverb. teacher. Were let's you ready? Get, let's get that clear. Okay. Couldn't tell you, you what that is to no. save my could life. You, could you ever? No. <laughs> no, there was never a time when I could help you with a conjunctive adverb. And you were a high school English yeah. teacher. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Proudly. Yeah. Oh, I walked space. in there each day like I knew what I was doing. <laughs> Uh, what did you teach uh, them? Uh, it's not important. Oh, okay. It wasn't good. It uh, wasn't. It wasn't much. <laughs> let's just say that. Oh man, yeah. John, I I, I I always think of you as a drama teacher, but you don't think about I, me. I don't I forget the English <laughs> and, part. And huh? you've seen yeah. the editing, oh, the copious gosh, editing that yeah. it takes to get oh, me my goodness. at all literary. See, when we I could have started today with Othello, and we could have yes, just taken literature right. and drama and put them together. Yeah, and that's right. Gosh, John. Uh, I know. That's a memory. I I, I, yeah. Hey, thanks. Well, we, <laughs> we are in Ephesians 4. We're going to finish out this chapter today. And what a great conclusion mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. these first few chapters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to start in verse 25. And if you hear any conjunctive adverbs, just call, call them out. Call them out. <laughs> you at home also. <laughs> Therefore, having put away falsehood, Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Wow. Mm. Years ago, I remember Eric Kakimoto talking about this passage. He was uh, teaching from the standpoint of his uh, Asian culture, where he was saying, you know, I grew up in a shame-based culture. And I thought, you know what? We all do. We all have shame-based cultures. Mm-hmm. It's just expressed in different ways. But as he talked, um, I, I was so impressed with his teaching. And I printed out, um, there's a paragraph I wanted to read from his teaching that he says about his own life. He said, for the majority of my Christian life, understanding this passage from a moralistic lens my initial gut reaction was to read Paul's instructions as saying, put on your new self in order to be righteous and holy, followed by a to-do list of how to do that. Put off my old self, put on my new self. The way I would do that is I would speak truthfully. I'd try hard uh, not to sin in anger. I, I would share with others. I would watch what comes out of my mouth. I would resist the temptation to be bitter. I would be kind and gentle, quick to forgive. And for me, this was both a disguised blessing and also a curse. When you live deeply rooted in shame, feeling that you're inadequate, he says, feeling that you somehow need to be someone better or to be something better in order to find value and to find worth, in one sense, you are looking for a to-do list. You are looking for anything that will help you distinguish yourself in comparison to others. 
So in one sense, I loved passages like this. Hmm. I loved it when the Bible would give me instructions of how I could be different than anyone else. Because if I did, perhaps I would find my worth. Perhaps I would find value, not only in the eyes of others, but most importantly, in the eyes of God, that I would make myself more pleasing, more acceptable to my Father. But I realized, in the end, this is a dead-end way of thinking. It's a curse in the end. Mm. I just think Mm. Eric was getting after the fact that for most of his life, this is the way he, he saw these passages. And I bet the majority of Christians do as well. Yeah. How do we see this passage? Mm. Well, I I love that we're we all do. We love that we're at this spot now because it, this is how Paul does a lot of his letters. He teaches identity, keeps teaching identity, keeps teaching who you are in Christ, keeps saying, "Put on that which is already true about you. Live out of that." And now, in this abrupt uh, flip, he says, now this is who you are. This is what it will look like when you live out of your identity. You won't have to steal anymore. You won't have to lie. You won't have to, you won't be filled with anger because you're not fighting um, to try to prove that you're enough. So he gives this list of this is who you are. And this is what you are maturing into because of your new identity. It's not something that now by the flesh I must externally add on, uh, as, as Eric said, as adding on this, uh, putting on the new self. No, the new self is allowing me to live this way. It is, it is almost a barometer of, am I really trusting who Christ says I am? Because I notice that anger there is not as pronounced. Um, I was, it was interesting looking at that line of don't give the devil an opportunity. When I'm in the light, I give him no opportunity. When, I'm, when I am free because of believing that I'm a saint, man, he has no, he has no place to go. Because That's right. I, I am vulnerable with the reality of me. But but if I haven't put on my new self, if I haven't believed that is true and I still see myself as a saved sinner, oh man, I'm giving him unbelievable opportunity because I have to hide. I have to pretend. I have to not let you correct me. Hmm. This is one of those uh, clearest passages to help us know whether we are on that road of pleasing yes. or on that road of trusting. Yes. If we're on the road of trusting, we get to experience that new self, which is already true of us, but now we get to experience it because we're trusting. If we're on the road of pleasing, then we're striving to do all these things so that we might feel better about ourselves. We Mm -hmm. might uh, feel like we're more righteous, more godly, when in fact we learned last week that we already, verse 24, have had the new self created in Christ Jesus so that we are already holy and righteous, which allows us to express love. That's right. Love being the primary expression of this righteousness. Mm. Yeah, which is what you, you want that. If you're talking to somebody and they're all the time thinking about what are the proper lines to this play? What do I need to act like to make sure that I'm the Jesus to you, that I'm not acting out of what my 
it it's not even that they're trying to be false, not that they're trying to be whatever negative word you could use. Um, but it's like your soul's not getting to jump out and play in what mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so sad. I, I think for whatever reason about sometimes when I'm at camp or at like a retreat and it's like, let me slide into my Jesus script now. And now I'm going to tell you things out of my Jesus script. And you can just, it's like, please don't do yeah. that. Yeah. But it's so tough. I mean, I know I'm not saying that about other people's if I don't do that sometimes. It's like, okay, now here are the proper lines. And this is saying, nope, you don't have to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just even looked down at the verse 32 and says, be kind to one another. And for so long, I, I think I looked at it and went, all right, come on, get on that now. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Let's be more mm-hmm. kind. Count to 10 before you, you know, I mean, just all this external teaching of, or being inspired by kind people, and it doesn't do anything. The, the ability then to look at this and say, that's right, kindness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Oh, God, let me go back again and remember to put on who you say I am, that I am someone who bears the Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit. This is who I am. And the freedom for me to look at this is not an add-on or an external something I have to drum up now, but is who I already am. Oh, I'm free to express it. Yeah, yeah. These qualities of love show us that not only are we we free to express, but they show us that if we take on that moralistic lens and try not to sin, yeah. that we won't love more. That's right. But if we realize that we are getting to express this love, we will automatically, inherently sin less. And that's the freeing part of this whole life in Christ. Just love that that emphasis is uh, in these last few verses. You might want to write down that thing Bruce just said and maybe stick it on your dashboard because that, that's a life principle you can live by, but you won't remember it without it being just c- consistently churned on. That's a good one. Say it again, Bruce. If we try to sin less, we won't sin less and we won't love more. But if we love more, express these qualities, we will automatically sin less. Hmm. So good. Guys, we'll see you next week. Thanks for dropping by.